0: At special times, believers in the Old and New Testaments believed that they ought to make covenants together, vowing that they would obey King Jesus. Following in their footsteps, in 1638, Scottish Christians signed the National Covenant, which rejected the enforcement of prelacy on the Presbyterian Church. When threatened to have these rights taken away, the Scottish Covenanters in 1639 united under the blue banner which read, For Christ's Crown and Covenant. As direct theological descendants of the Scottish Covenanters, the RPCNA still honors the Blue Banner for what it stands for, that Jesus is the only head and king of his church. The Blue Banter podcast's goal is to go about informing the reforming by introducing you to our pastors and under-shepherds of Christ's church. By listening to this podcast, you will have greater clarity on the blessings and challenges faced by each of our congregations. We pray that the Lord blesses you through this podcast. For Christ's crown and his covenant.
1: We want to welcome everybody to another episode of the Blue Banter Podcast, a podcast where we're striving to introduce the members of the RPCNA to the pastors of the RPCNA and to strive to serve uh, young and aspiring pastors by gleaning wisdom uh, from men with ministry experience. Um, I'm Joe Smith. I'm the pastor of Westminster Reformed Presbyterian Church in Westminster, Colorado. My name is Aaron Murray. I'm the pastor of Marion
0: Reformed Presbyterian Church here in the beautiful city of Marion, Indiana. If historical cosplay is your thing, you ought to make your way down to Marion, where every year we celebrate the Battle of 1812, where... Men like to dress up and pretend to shoot at one another and just reenact uh, the Battle of 1812. It's a big deal. People come from all over the nation. In fact, I'm told it's kind of an international event. We have people canoe all the way from Canada. So if that's your thing, you'll love Marion, Indiana. We are joined this week, this episode, with Pastor uh, Kent Butterfield. Um, Pastor Kent Butterfield, you're out in, um, is it North Carolina or South Carolina? North
2: Carolina. North Carolina. Everyone outside of South always gets it mixed up. I okay. don't think there is in North Carolina.
0: <laughs> well, we're uh, we're excited to have you on the podcast today and be able to glean um, from your wisdom here. Um, one of the the first questions that that we have for you is in regards to uh, hospitality. Um, And we we know that, you know, part of the qualifications of an elder is that he must be hospitable. So how do you go about as a pastor uh, practicing hospitality, both kind of in the technical sense of the word and the sense of entertaining strangers, as well as in the more common use of the word, um, entertaining, you know, those in your congregation Mm -hmm. and then what uh, maybe practical advice would you give um, people like Joe and myself or others in our congregations who want to express hospitality?
2: Yeah. Well, uh, definitely hospitality can be done uh, in uh, many, many different ways, um, but the you know, traditional way is to have people uh, in your home. So we, um, we've done some, some different things over the years, but we do have a steady way of doing things as well. Um, so on the Lord's Day, uh, our church, and our church is 25 years old this year, has always uh, held a fellowship lunch um, after the the morning service. And so we we continue to do that. And uh, the reason for doing that was just to facilitate more fellowship uh, as well as to accommodate people who come from a distance. And uh, it's great with visitors. Sometimes visitors always might, might have some other plans Uh, But if they don't, you know, we get to know them, they get to know us, and uh, people usually really enjoy it. So we just encourage everyone to bring something. We don't encourage that for the visitors, but sometimes they do bring uh, uh, some food to share. Uh, Now, at our home, uh, we, uh, for many years, have had people over, again, on the Lord's Day, uh, for more fellowship, or perhaps I'm doing some uh, counseling uh, with somebody, and, you know, the the group is having, you know, just casual f- fellowship. Um, you know, I've done studies, uh, we've had psalm scenes, and then, you know, after a number of hours, we would uh, have our evening meal. Um, so, we, you know, definitely have people over from the church, and, we're at a point where we can't have everyone from the church because it's just too many people and uh, too much food to prepare. And uh, it's it's costly, to, to, to be honest about that. Um, but we also, you know, definitely have people outside of our congregation, people outside of those who visit our congregation. We've had a, a Bible study for a no- number of years, like on a Thursday night, and uh, we would have like a meal and then, then the study and um, you know sometimes people we didn't even know what would, would come because they got word of it or somebody we did know, you know invited a friend um and so it's uh we, we all definitely try to reach out in particular to the singles who you know after church they might go home and they're just I mean definitely they can read and study but you know, they might feel very lonely so mm-hmm. we try to help them you know keep keep the Lord's day um and you know, just to uh, show that you know, there's the family of God that they can spend time with. Um so uh we uh yeah, so we've had a lot of people, um, sometimes you know spur of the moment, people who contacted us, um and wanted to meet with us. Uh sometimes it's counseling, sometimes it's uh want to know a church where there is greater community. We we've had a lot of people who um would come because they're part of a mega church Mm. and probably the most lonely christians in the world are in mega churches you know we've encountered many people who say well i've been at such and such church for four years and i really have no friends Mm. um you know people don't try to get to know new people they stick with their old old friends or old acquaintances Um, And so when they've read my wife's books about the community of the church, like, well, where can we get that? And it's like, well, (laughs) there's a lot of places you can or should. Mm -hmm. But um, so actually kind of smaller churches, uh, you have a greater advantage uh, to to, uh, utilize the opportunity with hospitality and and to minister in that way. Um, So that's kind of general. You guys might have some specific questions.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, as I think about hospitality and maybe the uh, some follow up questions would be one more of the, the spiritual side and then the other more the practical side. So mm-hmm. what, what do you see? I mean, you've kind of um, laid it out for us a little bit, but what are some of the spiritual benefits of hospitality? And then what are some practical things that you and your wife do to kind of um, ease the burden um, just financially and preparation wise uh, when it comes to hospitality? So the the spiritual and the practical.
2: Yeah. Well, uh the spiritual, like I said, uh fellowship, because a lot of times, uh, especially with reformed churches, we draw people from a wide area. Uh we, we don't really have unless we're in a real rural area, we don't have that local church ministry that's reserved to the town and you know, people can just walk to church. Um so it's 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 practical in that sense of hey let's spend some time together because it's hard for us to get together during the week, so that's let's, let's stretch it stretch it out on the Lord's day. So practical in that that way of facilitating more fellowship and like I said about maybe some counseling. Um, sometimes you know we do get people at our church who talk, um, you know, about a wayward child or some struggle they have, but, you know, as a pastor, I have responsibilities to the local flock, uh, the members first. And um, I, you know, I can't just always, you know, a lot of times I do spend time with the visitors during lunchtime at church, but, you know, I got to spend time with the church folks as well. So if, you know, have a priority on the church folks at church, and then if invite somebody over, uh, for maybe dinner. Um, there's other fellowship going on. I'm not may as needed with a particular church member. I can, you know, give some time and attention to a visitor who, uh, was some counsel of some kind or, just answer their questions. Um, and also sometimes, you know, if they're asking about the church or our denomination or distinctives or doctrine, uh, you know, well-seasoned people in the church can help out with that as well. Um, You asked about uh, costs. Yeah, costs. Well, especially today, you know, uh, inflation. Um, You know, I I did the hospitality as a single man. And I tell you, when you're single, you have the greatest advantage advantage of a male because uh, when you do hospitality, the expectation is negative, negative, below zero. (laughs) You know, they're like, you know... (laughs) So, you know, you do hot dogs and, you know, potato chips and they mm-hmm. think, oh, this is great. <laughs> yeah. But uh it's a little bit more challenged. So my, my wife works really hard. Um and she she cooks. Um uh, you know, and certain time I can grill, uh, but you know, there's no shame in serving hot dogs, mm-hmm. uh hamburgers or uh, you know, things that are inexpensive. Um, uh, you know, it'd be you know great if, you know everyone chip, chips in I have to say looking back as a a single Christian I I was always invited to someone's house uh I don't it doesn't matter what church I was in there was at least one person or one family that would always have like the students or the singles over and it wasn't until I was doing the hospitality in the church setting myself that I, I realized Oh, this can, this gets expensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. I was like, I feel bad. Mm-hmm. I never offered to pay for the meals. You know, I grew up with a mom who was not a believer, but she did a lot of hospitality, mm-hmm. you know, kind of take it for granted. Um, so, uh, it's, you know, we get a little bit of reimbursement, but not a lot, uh, from the church. So I don't know, it's just something we've, uh, decided to do as investment and, um, Um, it's just, you know, people are more comfortable in homes than in churches. So I know the church building is is important there's a lot of important ministry that goes there, but, um, there's a lot of ministry that takes place outside. And so your home is, is a good place. And a lot of times people are more, more comfortable and casual and might open up more. Um, so it's, it's just integral part of our ministry. And, uh, you know, we've been trying to encourage, and I think we've definitely seen that other people in the church, um, uh, open up their homes to, uh, to, to hospitality. Um, and that's really where you want to get is that other people are doing it, uh, mm-hmm. whether single or married and some people have like a real small place. So, Hey, just have a couple of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, so hopefully it, it'll be, you know, contagious, um, That's where you really want to get at. Because if it's only one family doing that, regardless of who they are, after a while, it just becomes expected. Um, And I think sometimes people have had kind of complaints that they're not always invited over. We just can't accommodate. I mean, we're up to about, close to about 70 in attendance, and we can't fit that many in our home, you know, so... Now, one thing I've done uh, every now and then. It's it's a bit of a kind of unusual hospitality is when I've we've invited the neighborhood over, and I've I've done this during times of kind of crisis in the neighborhood when there has been break-ins, uh, when there was a meth lab um, next door, and we didn't know about it, but some of our angry neighbors. Thought for sure, you know, you talked to that guy, and uh, you definitely had had to know what was going on. Uh, um, you know, we, we had a a, a cookout, in, in order to kind of talk about the issue, but what I would do is I would have it on the Lord's Day, and I sent an invitation through the uh, next door app, and so it's going out to three three hundred households um, in the neighborhood, and I know that many would not come. You know, it's still kind of like made 10% rule. Um, but my neighbors were great. I didn't even ask them, but they offered to bring food and tables and chairs. And we just had it outside. And um, I had it in the afternoon, so it was after church. I told church people, come on over. And again, you know, grilling hot dogs. And, you know, we had plenty of food and a good discussion. And I, I told the church members, your job is to get to know our neighbors and evangelize them. Mm-hmm. And so there's been a lot of good discussion and, um, you know, it's kind of impromptu, uh, evangelism training, just put them in the fire. Uh, gospel proclamation went forth. Um, and neighbors love it because re- regrettably no one else in the neighborhood does it. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, Oh, we got to do this again. So, um, But, uh, no, I knew uh, an older, um, two older ladies in Beaver Falls who felt like they couldn't do hospitality anymore in their their house. Or I'm not sure they live in an apartment. I was never there. But uh, sometimes they would take a a team like a a TFYP or a a mission team and and they would just take them out to the pizza place. Um, And that's how they would do hospitality. They just felt they couldn't do it in their home, but they couldn't take people out, uh, to, to dinner. And so that, you know, that's another way of doing that. There's mm-hmm. a lot of noise. Yeah.
0: Well, you said something about, you know, contagious hospitality and trying to, um, foster that in, in mm-hmm. our congregations. And one of the things that, uh, my wife and I have learned from, um, our home congregation at uh, second RP in Indianapolis was there was a, uh, midweek Bible study for young families at that time. There were, you know, probably 10 young families. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Dave Mauser, one of the elders there and his wife, Julie, what they would do is they would serve a meal before Bible study, um, which made it really easy for those of us mm-hmm. with young kids uh, to be yeah. able to come. So that's kind of, been something that uh, Mary and I have caught from them and and we try and do that. And, you know, you mentioned serving hot dogs, we just do grilled cheese. So I'm making, you know, yep. 20 grilled cheese sandwiches on the uh, Wednesday evening. Um, We've we've recently switched to American singles because I can't afford real cheese. <laughs>
2: yeah. But, uh, yeah, but
0: it's 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 a really wonderful, beautiful thing um, to be able to do that with people. Yeah,
2: well, if, if the food is free, people shouldn't complain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. You know, right. That fancy restaurant can complain about the steak not being cooked well. Yeah, <laughs> right,
1: um, right. I,
0: I had one teenager yesterday tell me he noticed that the grilled cheese sandwiches were a little less than they normally are. Uh. I said, "Listen, <laughs> listen pal." <laughs> Uh, yeah you're right do you um
1: do you uh just just one last thing on hospitality do you and your wife have any sort of goal or method or anything like that that you like to follow like i know some people try and have uh the whole congregation in their house Throughout the year, they try and cycle through the congregation. Or some people like Mm -hmm. to mix and match people that have things in common to foster that. Some people like to mix and match people that they see that don't talk to each other very much. You know, if they have a couple families over at a time. Mm -hmm. Or do you guys do like the mass thing where you may have thirty or forty at a time, so like half the congregation here or there? You guys have anything, or is it just kind of what's your?
2: Well, yeah, we we try to do focus on the singles. uh, or maybe a young couple um, uh, on the Lord's Day. Well, we've had families over on the Lord's Day, but it just sometimes it gets to be you know too much. Uh, and then so like on Fridays we try to you know hey let's have such and such family over you know and try to kind of have a, a smaller group or just maybe one family uh, to to kind of concentrate. Because one thing when you do have a lot of people over, if everyone's talking to somebody, that's great, but you can't really visit with everybody not not intimately uh so there's definitely a disadvantage when you have that group group setting so uh so yeah we're trying to be intentional about weekly and we've we've had cancellations with a couple families because of sickness and it's like okay we had to reschedule but now we're like really busy with uh you know, school or, uh, some other ministry aspects, but we hope to you know kind of plug through. Um, but it's nice, you know, it's some of the new families are doing, doing hospitality on their own. And it is kind of interesting, like that we haven't been invited over. I don't, I don't complain about that. We we haven't had everybody over at our house. Um, I, I don't believe but and so that's why it's really good to have that church fellowship you're there with everyone and all our members stay for that mm-hmm. every single one and all the adherents um, unless there's something unusual going on so every week uh, we can spend time with so and so and although I do have a little complaint I notice, you know most people sit with the same people most people yeah. at the same table in the same row in the same chair. it's like, you know, people mix it up, you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. You know it's just like, you know, grade school. Like, you, you know, you, you sit on the same bus seat and, you know, same, you know, uh, desk in the classrooms and it, it doesn't change. But
1: yeah, um, yeah. No, we're uh, creatures of habit. If we're not intentional about it, it's easy to fall into those things for good or for good or for ill. Yeah, so, no. So there,
2: there might be like four or five households who try to move around, right? And everyone else is stationary, and so
1: yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, thank yeah, thanks for thanks for that. Um, second thing we wanted to ask you, and we were telling you beforehand that you know, the RPCNA doesn't have a lot of churches that have you know two pastors, whether they be a co-pastor, mm-hmm. senior associate, however one chooses to word it. And so one thing we want to do whenever we have the opportunity to have a man on that, that kind of is serving in that team ministry context is just ask some about the blessings and the challenges. And obviously with mm-hmm. the challenges, we're not looking for anything too negative, but just things to think about that, that, that one may need to think through other than, you know, a solo kind of oh. ministry mm-hmm. opportunity. And so do you have any just general thoughts on the blessings and challenges of uh, team ministry?
2: Yes. Um, Well, it it could look different at at different places. So, uh, you know, here at Durham, when I arrived, um, within the first year there's some discipline cases and then I've, you know, within about two years time, I lost, uh, both my, uh, ruling elders that were local. Uh, so I went six years with provisional elders that were out, out of state. Um, and then, um, Beginning about two years ago, we uh, had election, we have a ruling elder, well, actually two ruling elders, but one of them, uh, Drew, um, was a uh, pastor already in the Baptist church, and um, we went through Presbytery, and then his credentials were transferred, and he was examined. Uh, Then we voted him in to be our associate pastor. So we weren't like seeking out. To get an associate pastor, but had a man qualified could be a ruined elder and he wanted that teaching elder credentials. And so it's just it kind of fell fell into place. But uh so with Drew, it's been a lot of help for me with the teaching responsibility and, and shepherding as well and counseling. Uh so it's since we don't have an evening service, it looks kind of different uh so I you know, I, I try to be uh, generous. I didn't want my associate p- pastor to be bored. <laughs> so we we split the weeks of you know who's going to preach. Then usually you know the other person would maybe teach a class. Sometimes we've had two classes going on. Um, so uh, and that now we also explore we're attempting a church plant an hour away. And so uh, Drew's leading that. Uh, as far as the the teaching and kind of being the point man there.
0: Can I just Uh, ask real quick, where, uh, where exactly is the church plant? uh,
2: South Wake County. uh, Our church is in Durham County. Durham's in Durham County. Uh, Raleigh is in uh, Wake County. And so south of Raleigh uh, is a large part of the county and it, it has been exploding in population. So the, little town that we meet in, Fuquay, Verena, um, between, I believe it was 2010 to 2020, has grown 90% in size. And uh, so, yeah, there's all these kind of little rural communities, bam, there's housing developments and mm. you know less farmland. So it's, there's no reformed churches really mm. to speak of down there. So we're trying to tap in that other churches... Uh, NAPAR churches are uh seeking the ch- church plant but we're the kind of the first ones on the ground hmm. um so uh yeah some of some of the challenges um uh well we we try to do different series um uh, I don't like like the handoff like hey let's go uh through the gospel of John and you know I'll I'll take you know this first part of this chapter and you take the next chapter I, I don't see how that that works because you know different men have a different a way to uh, approach a passage will bring out different points. And you might think, wow, I would have brought out something else that would go with what I would say next. Uh, So, so yeah, we preach on completely different texts. Um, uh, So no, if you've never done that, it takes a little bit of getting used to of there's different styles, different methods. Um, Drew uses a very detailed, um, Outline and I use a manuscript. Uh, so he, you know, he puts out the, uh, we both, you know, send those material out. His outline, I've sent out my manuscript with the bulletin. And the reason why I use a, a manuscript is for the people who don't have uh, English as their first language, they can read it the night, at least, the, and get a get better sense of what's going to be said. And s- some people just, struggle with their attention and it helps that they have either outline or a manuscript and i also send manuscripts to prisoners um you can't send audio files and whatnot so it helps me um it's a good resource and if i'm ever challenged hey you said so so and go back to to the manuscript so those those are some of the some some of the challenges um Yeah. So we might have like different perspectives and try to kind of work those things out. Um, we don't have a hundred percent agreement on philosophy of ministry, but we have over 90% agreement. So, you know, we kind of work through that 10% difference, uh, at times. Um, and if you both have been used to being the sole pastor before the enter this dynamics is, is, uh, different and definitely can be challenging yeah well um before
0: i ask my next question my microphone just went out um so oh, okay. if uh things sound a little bit different on my end i apologize to everybody but uh, we'll make it through it we'll press on okay further up I can and further it. in as aslan says <laughs> um so you, you were kind of talking about uh your philosophy of preaching and your kind of practice of using manuscripts um versus outlines that kind of thing this is a mm-hmm. Perennial question that, that Joe and I often ask is uh, We're very curious about men and their philosophy of preaching, um, what style they like to use, whether they gravitate more towards experiential, topical, um, historical, mm-hmm. grammatical, that kind of stuff. Um, so, what's your philosophy of preaching? And then, what does your weekly sermon preparation look like?
2: Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, definitely expository preaching. Um, I love the the paired. Puritan, so experimental would be uh, definitely my my focus. So, but I have done topical uh, on many parts of scripture that people should know, or when we're dealing with doctrines, um, uh, especially um, maybe you know if there's high school students you want to kind of prepare them for college, and should get kind of good dose of of you know, a little bit of projects or creation account. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've, I've done, I have done topical, um, but a lot of those things I can, you know, I can address in a class hour. So we have people in our congregation. We have, I think one person who grew up in the RP church, everyone yeah. else did not. Uh Most people are either first generation Christian or definitely first generation to the Reformed faith. Uh, so, um, there are, a lot of times, people just need to kind of get up to speed. Um, and so, you know, like when we have a maybe a, a baptism of a child or an infant, and we haven't had one in a while, it'd be good to you know, preach on infant baptism. Um, and, uh, sometimes one has some discipline issues or maybe, you know, you haven't for a while, but it'd be good to review a church discipline or Presbyterian government. Um, so you just have the sense, what, what do people need to know or learn? And, and some things are definitely more urgent than others. Um, so you just have to know your congregation and, uh, and just where they, what they've been taught, what they need to be untaught, or you know what what they need to be uh, exposed to. Uh, so yeah, we, there's a lot of teaching ministry. Uh, we have also on uh, Wednesday night, uh, kind of some about 30 minutes or 35 minutes of instruction. Then we take prayer requests, and we always have a class hour uh, each each Lord's Day, and um, we cover a lot of different topics. Um, so I think the topics can be dealt with in many different venues, including preaching. Uh, but I don't have to be topical, and I was always taught in different Reformed churches that you know you, you can run out of things if you just be topical all the time. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so Wednesday night can, can be challenging to me. It's like, what well, what else can I do? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I know, of course, I haven't done everything, but I've I, I kind of gone through this book and that book and that Mm -hmm. book and Mm -hmm. and that topic, so Uh, uh, um, sometimes that's more challenging to uh, prepare for than a sermon. Strange, yeah,
1: yeah. So what um what does your what does the preparation process look like for you? From you know, let's say you're working through a book, so most likely Mm -hmm. you at least know the next verse you're going to start with. If not the next section, the totality of it that you're going to preach from. So just in a nutshell, what does it look like from the time, you know, pastor Butterfield sits down at the desk or wherever you are to the time mm-hmm. where the manuscript is, is off the printer and ready to roll.
2: Yeah. So personally I'm uh, preaching through the book of Psalms. Uh, so definitely know what the next number um, <laughs> yeah. is. And uh, so I'm, I'm on Psalm Fifty six, I believe. Uh, so, so Psalm eighteen was long, so you, know, you have to figure out how to break it up. I try to kind of do the whole psalm. Um, so, a lot of times, I will. You we know, obviously read over the, the the text, and I think that when you start a book or a series, you, you want to line up your resources, um, especially like commentaries. What what are the good ones? What or what are the beneficial ones? And uh that that can be a challenge because you know i i know some men who are great preachers and um well it's one I'll, i mentioned like cj williams and i ask him you know hey what did you use you know and he'll refer me to a book a well-known author and i don't look at it, it's like there's like nothing here i mean he's like the little skinny books like this guy doesn't has meat here it's like how does cj get anything good out of it it's like i don't understand it um so, uh, but that's—I think—that's the, probably the biggest challenge: is what, what's good, what's kind of insightful, uh, what's going to help you. And so, it was a challenge for me to just pick up the Book of Psalms because I'm not given to poetry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love historical narrative. Uh, I love the epistles. More, I, feel, I feel they're just more straightforward. So, getting something that will be of great help, and just sometimes asking people sometimes even though listening on, um, sermon audio, uh, maybe trusted men I know or good men. And it's it's interesting for me, some of the more well-known living preachers out there, I just don't feel like they really dig deep into the text at times. Um, so, uh, but yeah, anyway, so read, read the passage, uh, several times, um, I try to figure out like, you know, you know, try to figure out first kind of what are the kind of the points to, to draw from it. But to be honest, a lot of times I just I just start writing and then I kind of mm. try to fine-tune the the points. I just try to get kind of thoughts out mm-hmm. uh, on 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 paper. And with the with the Psalms particularly, um, as you know, this is our tradition to sing them exclusively. And you know, it's taught in our circles that you know, all the Psalms are messianic. Um, but the challenge is to see that and mm-hmm. all, and so that that's that's been a, a challenge for me. I think that's more of a challenge than just the meaning of words and you know, exegesis and. You know, I definitely, when I preach, I don't try to draw out the technical stuff. I think some men can do that and still make it interesting. Um, but I'm not one of them. So, you know, maybe at one point here or there, uh, I could do that. But usually I just try to stick to the understanding of our English Bible. And, of course, knowing that, you know, there's deeper meaning in the Hebrew or, or in the Greek or... Um, but I, I was what I try to get out to, to to the people is like okay this is fulfilled in the New Testament here or this wording um or you know I've said many times now don't look at the book of Psalms as uh David's diary you know when it says a psalm of David it means he's the prophet who wrote it mm-hmm.
1: you
2: know it's it's not it's not we're not studying the life of David huh. We we're learning from David, and he's a type of Christ. And so we, we need to get to Christ, and then we have to bring it back to ourselves. And mm-hmm. so David could be the, a stepping stone, but he's going to be, when you step on to get to Christ, and then you're going from Christ, you're going to bring it you know, back to your to yourself and to your own. own. Yeah,
0: one of the things that uh, Barry York said in one of his uh, classes, we had a preaching class on uh, the Psalms. And one of the things he said over and over again is that the Psalms are the diaries of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, and that's really stuck with me. So I was telling Joe before we started recording, I uh, just started a series through the book of Acts. And so we're in the second half of Acts 1 where, you know, Peter is preaching about the replacement of Judas. And he quotes from mm-hmm. Psalm 69, um, Psalm 109, um, talking about like his tent is desolate and someone is going to um, take his place. And you read these, and both of these are indisputably Christocentric. Like I know some mm-hmm. will accuse us of being hypochristocentric with our view of the Psalms. Um, okay, we can chat about that. I don't think we are, but just the idea that as we read through the Psalms, we're reading the thoughts of Jesus in His life and ministry, um, and and that to me, like that's the application right there. Like this is the heart of my Savior right here, given to me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um,
2: yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely. That's one of our. Uh, reasons for exclusive psalmody, because mm-hmm. in the gospel accounts I say this many times we, we have the physical description of his suffering which was very minor compared to the spiritual angle um that his soul experienced because he underwent the wrath of the follower which you really just can't really fully put put in words but in 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 the in the psalms you have that thoughts of christ of his struggle and his hurt and his pain of the betrayal uh of the cruelty uh done against him it's there again and again and a lot of times it's there through david's experience or through the unnamed psalmist uh experience and so if we want to know christ more intimately we, we need to know know uh the psalms so yeah. Yeah. uh yeah definitely i've you know earlier in my uh pastorate, you know, like going through first Samuel, I talked a lot about David. I just got got stuck on David and now I'm thinking like I should you know I should make sure all that stuff's deleted from the internet and you know <laughs> redo it. You know, it's just like I you know I didn't bring Christ out enough and it's you know shameful. Um, so um but also you know trying trying to connect to people and that's uh you know sometimes when you listen to other people you kind of learn more about you're preaching or like what you need to do. Even if people do it, you no know, kind of badly. Uh, you know, do, do we, we we shouldn't get into a situation where we're just describing the text. And I find people do that and I've done it, you know, again and again, it's like, that's, that's not preaching, you know, that it might be okay for, uh, you know, a, a Bible study um just to, give general explanation, but, you know, you have to exhort and you have to draw, you have to apply it, you know, you have to apply it to your life. And so what about all these enemies and this anguish and crying out to the Lord? Um, you, there's specific applications uh, to bring into your, your life as as a Christian. And so we we don't want it to be descriptive only. Um, and I think sometimes the historical narrative can fall into that, um, and then you know there's that well kind of historical narrative preaching where there's no application, which is just awful.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I'm uh I'm reading a book right now on preaching. I'm really liking uh, the imperative of preaching mm-hmm. by John Carrick, and you know mm-hmm. just those kind of four basic elements of the indicative, uh, the exclamative. Which is just saying things with passion, you know. Um, the interrogative using questions, and then the imperative. Um, you know, preaching must have indicatives, but it can't be only indicatives. Yeah. Um, and so that's am uh, I'm I'm really digging the book so far. Yeah, um,
2: I, I did have an elder who said. I mean, when you said, I wasn't sure. Like, is this a complaint, or you know, <laughs> where are you going with it? So uh, he, he said, I was very converse, conversational in my preaching and as i thought about it i said well probably because i keep asking questions yeah and you know i i see that in in the Puritans. and you know i i want people hopefully they're listening if they're tending mm. not to listen and get heavy eyelids you know the questions like you know it's to you right you know, think think about it you know or or put out a, you know a challenge do you do this or do you do that um what i i i find you know terrible about preach i know you ask about method of preparing i'm kind of going off a t- tangent here but um when uh um when men just kind of share their you know experience with their wife or um you know their personal fables, and uh, you should do very little of that you really should you know congregation gets tired of hearing that and uh mm. And usually they're not deep, you know, you're not vulnerable. You know, I know mm-hmm. I forgot to get something at the store. I didn't need to learn to be more, you know, thoughtful of my wife, you know, big deal.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Like, yeah, that's not life changing. You
1: know. Right. No. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Um, sometimes I'll use an illustration of my own life, but I'm with you. I intentionally seek to avoid putting myself in sermons. For the most part so right.
2: well my <laughs> we wife you know, my wife has written many books and shared a lot about our our home home life you know has always said right well not making me an illustration <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah yeah no yeah. doubt well that's good yeah aaron were you gonna say something
0: i was just gonna say if i ever use my wife or even my children mm-hmm. um in an illustration i always get their permission always mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll ask, Hey, what do you think if I share this? And my wife will tell me that's stupid. <laughs> okay. Thank you.
1: Yeah, no, th- thanks for giving us uh, thoughts on that. Those have those have always been my favorite questions in these interviews so far, just just hearing what men have to say about uh, preaching. I mean, it's the primary means of grace and it's uh, mm-hmm. wonderful to hear men's thoughts on it. Um so something we told you that, that we did want to ask you about, in 2017, uh, you wrote an article for Desiring God uh, with the title, The Pathway from Porn to Adultery, mm-hmm. Letter to a Would-Be Adulterer, and saying that, um, man, it's just, I, I heard a statistic the other day, uh, like seven in 10 men and one in three women in the church mm-hmm. struggle with pornography um the availability is just insane you know it's in people's hands uh at, yeah. at all time and you know um kind of being a a a one woman man is a requirement for elders you know being faithful mm-hmm. to our wives and that's as as the sermon on the mount makes clear that's uh, head hand and heart that's that's the whole man and so um Seem like somebody that that would uh, that we'd like to ask on this. Just um, reflecting on that article, reflecting on what you've learned since that article, what you've seen in your pastoral career. Just what's some advice that you would give, um, just for anybody, certainly, uh, but but even more maybe for younger pastors, pastors starting out. You know that can what can men do to be intentional about watching themselves in this area and protecting uh, their marriage through, through faithfulness, particularly in this, uh, dangerous area. Yeah. yeah but
0: before you, you, you get into that. I'm curious, you had a line in there that made me think, are you writing out of, um, kind of counseling experience here? Cause you have a line where you say, um, you know, whether you're drawn to women on the screen or in the fellowship hall. So what was kind of the impetus, uh, for this article?
2: yeah well, yeah they uh, they asked me to write uh the article uh, as a as a letter to a member in the congregation who's um, um, you know involved in uh, pornography um, and and I believe that no, was about six years ago, I believe you know, the caution about you know leading to adultery. Um, uh, so I did write from my experience of something involved in the church, um, where actually we had a church discipline that happened the same week, with two different men, one did involve pornography as a starting point when he was young and continued for decades, um, uh, the other one, I don't know if per- pornography was uh, part of the equation, but um, one, you know, committed not just adultery. Um, the other one was soliciting adultery, um, but the one who committed adultery also committed a crime of producing child pornography. So there's different levels of uh, sexual sin with different, different people you know, with adult and with a child mm-hmm. or one person. So I was um, speaking from experience, you know, in that line and the editors at Desiring God, actually they did not like my first draft mm-hmm. because I talked about, about leading to, you know, could lead to jail or pedophile. And they, th- they said, well, you know, we're just talking about you know, a guy who's looking at pornography and, No, don't want him to become an adulterer, and you know that doesn't mean he's going to become a pedophile. Well, not necessarily, but yes, that's the trajectory. And so that's that's why I was thinking like, no, it it can get to that bad because a lot of people when they're 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 stuck in this sin habit, they think they're they have it under control. You know, hiding it, they have it under control. Like, well, I won't go. You know. I I won't you know abuse my neighbor's kids, or I won't have an affair with somebody in the church. Um, they don't know where they're going to end up, and and sin, sexual sin oh, as any sin is progressive, and the, the the most classic example to confirm that is Judas, who betrayed Jesus. He's a thief. He's labeled as a thief. He he was coveting in his heart. And that's what produces him stealing the funds of the ministry. Well, we don't think of it. We don't, you know, in discussion talk about, you no, know, Jewish the thief. We say Jewish who betrayed Christ. You know, he went apostate and, and he went into a, a league to betray Jesus at, in the point to have him killed. And so, remember, who was, uh, you know, who was Jesus talking to on the cross? A thief, another thief. Well, thieves aren't put to death. That's not just. Well, a lot of times when people break into homes or committing armed robbery, they'll end up killing somebody. You know, sin develops into greater sin unless the Lord restrains you uh, by his mercy. So uh, so any of us, I think, can become a pedophile, which is what the worst of sexual sins, right? Um. So anyway, yeah, so I was... Kind of writing from experience, um, um, you know, if that could help scare people to the seriousness of their sin, uh, you no, know, so so be it. But yes, for at the very least, uh, any any pornography could would would lead to, unless the Lord restrains us. But over time, and it could be quicker with some people than others. It will lead to some sexual sin being acted out with another person, whether they cooperate or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is just a fact. Um, with uh serial, you know, rapists and sometimes serial killers. Uh um you know, Ted Bundy was at least honest at the end of his life. You know, it started with pornography, pornography for him. And you know, it's just, it's just the natural step because mm-hmm. um so anyway i'm not sure i don't want to Uh, to yeah
1: yeah no i mean that's it just makes sense i mean you see that in romans 1 2 the progression like in a sense we all have homosexuality the seed of that sin inherent i mean that's just how deep and disgusting sin is Mm -hmm. and all it takes is for god to give somebody over and then that progression would be a landslide and it's like that with any lust right like I mean, just the, the more you consume, the more you need to find mm-hmm. satisfaction. And so to think that you of your own power are going to stop uh, that is um, uh, naive at best, dangerous, obviously very at worst. So what what um, what would be just some advice that you would counsel to a young minister starting off or I mean, women struggle with it as well. Young men, young women about just guarding yeah. against these things, some practical things, um, theological things, whatever that, that people could be doing?
2: Yeah. I think the most important thing is to get a good conviction about it. You know, a lot of times people say, well, we need to get covenant eyes and whatnot. And, you know, when people approach me, it's like, hey, you know, will you be my accountable, accountability partner or covenant eyes? Like, uh, that's not, it's not going to work. You know, you, you can turn that thing off, you know uh um so you no know, what i've where i've seen success is where i've been able to like actually counsel somebody and and use books there's a great book um sexual sanity for men mm-hmm. by david white uh, yeah. i believe Harvest usa puts it out and that's a hard-hitting book you know it hits you right between the eyes um or uh, you know john owen um you know has you know, a trilogy about about sin mortification of sin um you know when when the member in our church was arrested for producing that child pornography you know he came to my office the next day to <laughs> tell me why he's not at work um and it's like i just pulled out oh and say like, we're going to, we're going to study this and and you know and to god's praise you know, he, he was broken i wasn't sure if he was, you know, people can put up a good act, but, um, I just visited him in prison a couple of weeks ago and, um, uh, uh, maybe four years time he'll be out, um, over a decade, decade and a half, but he wants to be accountable. He wants counseling, you know, after he gets out still. Uh, so definitely, you know, talk one-on-one and just show the seriousness of the sin. And if they're married, you know, have the spouse there, um, um, you know, I've had a situation where, you know, the wife was in tears, you know, cause she discovered this and, and there was also what was going on. Um, kind of man started flirting or being obsessed about women at work and, um, and he was broken up being kind of caught and he knew it was wrong. Um, but we had a couple of those episodes, um, come up. And so I I met with them regularly and you know the Lord really worked, you know, brought the word. Uh the Holy Spirit brought conviction and steps were taken. You know, he did not look at his phone when he was at home. Wife has control of it. So there, there's sometimes there is that accountability, which is good. But that I think that in itself, it's not gonna work if there's not conviction in the heart. Um, so you know, one thing is don't be idle. We we are we are an idle society. Um, I'm on my phone too much. You know, I'm always checking messages, and I don't watch movies on it. But you know, I've got the computer at home. But you know, we we just have to be busy. We 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 just have to be busy working, do more exercise, sp- do more family things. Just stay. You know, don't allow the screen to be your idol. You know, whether it be. Basketball this time of year, or movies, or you know things that are illicit and uh, sinful. Um, so I think that that's key. You make have a lifestyle that is not sedentary and just you know where you're just alone. And this is, and I've I've said to people, you know, to, this is not your um, therapy. I you know, just kind of learned that recently. Some a lot of people you know, go to pornography as a therapy. You know, I just, I don't feel love. You know, this person on the screen, they're looking right at my eyes and they're smiling. And, you know, it's, it's great deception, right? They're just thinking about dollars. They don't know you, they don't see you. Um, and, you know, but people kind of go to as a stress reliever, uh, which is a great lie of the evil one. So uh, I think the importance for us in counseling about sin we have to point out why sin is evil. What is the evilness of a particular sin? Because we have a world that is very open about sin, especially sexual sin, and say this is wonderful, this is love and whatnot, but we need to dissect a particular sin and say, This is evil, for this reason, it is it is destructive for this reason, it is um an attack against God for this reason it is harmful to you for this reason, this reason. And because a lot of times we just don't understand. It's like, well, everyone does it. And we, we, we hear that all the time, especially like with homosexuality or transgenderism. Well, if they want to do that, who are we to say? Well, it's like they're mutilating themselves. They're, they're becoming sterile. Um, And, you know, in eternity, no, no one is going to have a sex life, you know, but they make, this is, this is my life. This is me. It's like, uh, not if you're infirm, uh, you know, you know, your whole summation as a person is not in your sexual activity. And it's, it's, it's a vexation. You know, if you focus on one aspect that even is a liberty, but you make it an idol.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, yeah, so dealing with the sin, let's understand why it, it is a sin and how great of an evil and harmful it is um and a reproach against God. And, and then we can lor- work on the conviction. Mm-hmm. If we really don't. We just say, well, it's a sin. And people say, why? And if we can't say, if uh, if all we can say, well, God says it's a sin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're not going to get too mm-hmm. far with adults on that. All right, all right. So. Yeah, no,
1: that's 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 helpful. I, uh, I mean, I think you're right. The um, convincing people of the sinfulness of the sin, you know, that's that's the weight behind the imperative of stop doing that. You know, or, or be faithful mm-hmm. to your wife. You know, seeing the sinfulness mm-hmm. of it, uh, the destructive nature of it, like you said, uh, is critical for getting to the heart of the matter. But then, I love what you said too about staying busy. Um, that's, Mm -hmm. that's one thing. And, you know, and I'll tell guys, schedule your day out, like schedule things like preemptively strike that opportunity to be lazy, you know, laziness and procrastination often happens because we don't know the next thing to do, or we don't, we haven't thought of something to do. And so Mm -hmm. strike that, you know, beforehand, um, and, and, and resolve not to fall into that, you know, the Proverbs and, and even David in parts of the Psalms, you know, you, you see, they, they take sin, uh, and think about it preemptively, you know, they resolve mm-hmm. beforehand, they commit beforehand, they prepare beforehand to guard their ways and things like that. So, mm-hmm. uh, good, good stuff. Thank you for that. Um, so now we've come to the, uh, the final portion, uh, it's becoming a trademark portion of, the blue banter podcast, uh, a fun little theological (laughs) question where we seek to settle fun, fun debates. Um, our first one, uh, we'll be starting a new, a new question today. So can't, you'll be the first to take a stab at this new one. We've so far asked, you know, could Jesus have gotten ill? Uh, the last group of guys we asked, you know, are there individual guardian angels? And then kind of staying with that theme of, uh, angels, or at least the potential of it, we're looking to now settle the debate over these next four episodes in Genesis chapter six over who are the sons of God and, and who are the giants or the Nephilim. And just since this is our first time asking that question, just briefly mm-hmm. uh, read from Genesis um, six, one and two, and then six, four says, now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And then verse 4 says, there were giants or the Nephilim on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown, and so we're, we're curious: What is Pastor Kent Butterfield's thoughts on who are the sons of God and the Nephilim? Uh,
2: the sons of God are are the believers. Um, you see that consistently. I know that some would uh, see some a reference or two in the Old Testament uh, for the angels. Uh, to be called the sons of God but the normative use of that term is for those who have uh, saving faith. So it's basically being unequally yoked as we still have that problem today where uh in that well, what was said in that context what you just read is that men were marrying women for their beauty and we see Jacob doing that right going for Rachel. You know, yeah. she was the good looking one, and no, uh, uh, it became a slave in order to get her. Uh, <laughs> sad, sadly, yeah, so that's all, that's all it is. And you know, the, the talk about the giants is not a cause act, um, just a description right. of this the state of um, the earth at, at, at that time. So, uh, and of course, we have more clear um, uh, scripture to teach us in like in Matthew 22 30. Uh, Jesus supporting the resurrection because he was asked that s- silly question that actually comes from the Apocrypha, you know, if a woman, you know, you know, marries and her husband dies. And then her brother, you know, mar- marries her according to the law. And then he dies. And then, but there's seven brothers. She's married all seven, you know, you know, whose wife will she be? And then Jesus for, um in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like, angels of god in heaven um so what jesus is saying is that angels do not marry Mm -hmm. Um, and we know that angels do not procreate um only mankind and you know animals uh do do that uh so it's impossible for angels um who are spiritual beings and they can manifest in a physical form but they they really are not physical beings as we are and so they cannot marry you know humans and they cannot uh, produce offspring Mm -hmm.
1: yeah well you you, as you basically summarized uh my own view I i love what you said i mean i i'm convinced the sons of god are believers but i love the way you put it that this the marriage between the sons of god and daughters of men and the nephilim the relationship's not causal Um, Hmm. I've never understood why people think the Nephilim are necessarily the offspring. It sounds like it is just a description of what else was going on in those days, Hmm. just like the wickedness on the face of the earth was great. And if you, you kind of trace the Nephilim, um, even though I think they, you know, their physical descendants would have been wiped out in the global flood, you can trace them through scripture up through the Anakim and up to the Goliath, you know, they're basically these persecuting powerful men which is basically just what the text says you know they're they're the seed of satan and with much power and and persecutors of the people of god but uh yeah we just know that's another that's another fun uh topic that people like to discuss aaron do you got any thoughts on it
0: no i'm just disappointed that you guys uh, are disagreeing with darren aronofsky and his movie noah with
2: the uh fellow from gladiator (laughs) who says the nephilim are you know large stone giants yeah yeah well, you know what uh Calvin said what God did before creation
1: Mm-mm.
2: He made hell for the curious well, yeah. <laughs> so, very, good. very yeah, good just be careful guys question Joe. yeah, yeah. actually I, I was asked that question uh at my first pastor meeting my my pastor, you know, I mean he's the one who told me that you know and mm. uh then he just threw it out because he was giving my uh, systematics exam. And so he said it. And I thought, yeah, you know, I'm brand new to this breaststroke. I can't start off with a joke, you know. <laughs> right. So, but, so I I didn't bite, but then he explained the punchline. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sorry, I cut you off. No,
0: yeah. you're all good. It's all good. I think uh, I think we've come to the end of our time. This has been uh, another episode of the Blue Banter podcast. And I do want to uh, plug that book again that uh, Kent, you mentioned Sexual Sanity for Men by uh, David White. It is a hard hitting book, but it's a uh, accessible book. I've got it back on my shelf. And what's uh, brilliant about that book is it's not the chapters are not so long that they're intimidating to read the way that he divides the book up is uh, by weeks. So you have days one through five, and each day is more of a devotional, um, a page and a half, maybe three pages, and then three or four hard hitting questions. And what he gets at is not so much just the fruit of the sin, which is expressed in pornography or some type of uh, sexual immorality, but really the root of the sin. And He gets to um, pride and um, other things that cause um individuals to fall into these kind of things and he really promotes the idea of a brotherhood a fellowship um i mean accountability groups are kind of a um, the big button word here but kingdom groups this idea where men come together women come together to spur one another on towards loving good works so i highly recommend that book for you if you're in the uh, durham or raleigh area there are two good rp churches in that area so just uh, look them up you guys have a website i'm assuming
2: Yes, um, uh, it would be. Uh, I should remember it. Uh, uh, Durham uh, RPC um, dot, dot org. Okay. Does the uh, church plant have any contact
0: information yet?
2: Yeah, uh, they have one. Uh, it should be Southwake okay. All right. Well, there you go. You can visit uh, those two websites. Uh, In the
0: meantime, as you are listening to this podcast, if you would find it in the uh, kindness of your heart to go onto iTunes and rate and review us, you could share us on social media. That would be fantastic because neither Joe nor myself have one. So this is all kind of word of mouth. And until next time, whether you eat drink or whatever you do, including banter, do all to the glory of God.